There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. And welcome to Securian Skid, a podcast where I say it's okay to not be okay. I'm Johnny Stephen. Every week, I'm joined by one very special guest. Joining me this week, I've decided to go down the psychology route again because, as much as I love speaking to the Love Island stars, their psychology episode that we put out last week with Dr. Arthur Cassidy was so empowering for me. We were looking at relationships post lockdown, and I thought it was so important to keep that psychological vibe going because I've had a lot of messages from you this week talking about anxiety, anxious what's going to happen after lockdown, anxious that, for example, we're now allowed to see six people, but we don't know six people to see anxious that we're still looking for that self-validation in a new way in terms of who's getting the most expensive takeaway who's come up with a new hobby the amount of instagram accounts i've seen this week of people suddenly becoming bakers to make cookies is ridiculous there's always this self-validation that we go through and self-validation is quite a big topic and i wanted to break it down for you and i thought let's keep that mental health vibe going for a second not with a celebrity but just to get you thinking about where you are and I wanted to bring you someone really special to this podcast for episode 38 because 38 episodes ago there was no podcast and the podcast only happened because of one really 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 special lady I'd kind of spoken to her a little bit uh through my work we hadn't really ever connected I mean still 38 episodes later two years of knowing her we've still not actually met in person but still let's forget that sec I had a really bad time trying to get a mortgage and I had a breakdown. And it was the first time I cried. First time I cried in front of my family. First time I cried to myself. First time I gave up. And I had nothing to do. And I had nowhere to go. And I thought, this is it. What's the point of me working? I'm not going to get anywhere. I've got money. Can't buy a property because I'm a freelancer. There's nothing to do. There's nothing left worth fighting for. Not that I was suicidal, just depressed in a low mood. I don't want to use the word depression, actually. I don't want to say I was depressed, because that's not fair. I was in a really low mood, and I was in a really bad place. And this person, Emma Kenny, reached out to me. And we spoke. We spoke for an hour. And I cried. But she opened my eyes. And in the past year, we've grown this beautiful friendship together. I meditate with her every day. I watch her Instagram and Facebook lives, where she just has a mental health clinic, which helps me. 
and she's just an amazing, amazing person. And she was the reason I got this podcast going because she said to me, you've got to do it. And I can't ever thank her enough. There will never be enough words to thank her because she was that person that just gave me that validation that it's going to be okay and we'll get there. And I'm delighted to say, 38 episodes in, I finally plucked up the courage to talk to her on the podcast and not just as my counsellor say hello Emma Kelly do you know what that's one of the nicest introductions I've ever had and also the thing with you was always the fact that your questioning of your talent was the issue not the talent itself so it was a very easy job for me because all I had to do is help you remember that was it and that's the problem that we all compete with each other so we're always seeing other people so for example last week I went viral because of my episode of Chaduza from Love Island and it's gone all over the papers but that was a moment and in that moment I was really happy and I was excited I kept googling and then the next day that drifts off and then it goes away again and then you're like right this person's gone viral again this person's gone viral, and you and then you go well why have I not gone viral again and you do question yourself all the time and you open up those conversations so so well and what I want to do is with you to begin with, just so our listeners can get used to you and who you are, because I know you and I'm obsessed with you. Let's go through your careers, because to be a psychologist is an amazing thing. And it's a massive burden that you're taking on that you're basically going, right, all day I'm going to listen to your problems. And then you're not allowed to really take them home with you, but you kind of can't help it. So why did you want to be a psychologist? Oh, because when I was a young person, so when I was a teenager... I was involved in the psychological and psychiatric system because I wouldn't go to school. And I was very avoidant of going into educational establishments and they tried very hard. I'd gone to a private girls' school after winning an assisted place because my parents didn't have the money to pay for the place. And it kind of went downhill from there. It wasn't that the school was a bad school at all or that the girls that I went to school with were bad either. They were all very lovely. It was that I really just couldn't connect and fit in. So I started to reject the system, and which is something that I've been very good at throughout my young life. And the consequence was that they thought that there was something in inverted commas wrong with me. And I was sent to see a psychologist after being assessed for two years And at the end of it, I thought, well, that was a waste and I bet I could do a better job. And I can't believe that somebody can get paid to sit in a room and try to get me to unfold my feelings and get nowhere and still have a job. And that was the momentum, really. I believed that I would know how to speak to people and particularly young people, particularly teenagers and young people that I would never ever treat them like a child I would treat them like an equal who was an understanding of their own world far greater than I would have they'd have to introduce me to it so that's why I went into it because I was disaffected and I felt that I could help people who were young in trouble or dealing with difficulties not be disaffected as I had become everything happens for a reason if you hadn't gone through that bad place you wouldn't be where you are today do you oh, yeah. ever think, I wish I'd had a normal childhood and no. been like everyone else? No. I mean, the childhood itself, there were bad things in it and great things in it. I had really loving dad and get on with my mum. And I had like some foundations that were really good and there was some trauma and things around there as well. But definitely as I got older, I became a bit of a car crash for a while. And I just feel very blessed for that. I mean, I feel hugely blessed. I had an eating disorder when I was younger and it was quite severe. And I would not change a breath of it. In fact, I think that really honestly, 
not that I think you have to have bad times to be empathic. You know, I don't even believe that you can train people to be therapists, psychotherapists or practitioners in any kind of psychological field. You are either born with those skills or you're not. So you might be able to go through all the academia and get your qualifications, but I guarantee that unless you're a natural empath, you won't be able to help the people that you're working with. So I think that there are two different conversations between what I would consider training and natural fit. But certainly when it comes down to insight and also understanding hope, when you've kind of had times that have been really evidently problematic in your experience and really dark times and difficult times, but you've just found a way forward. When you get to the point where you become well-adjusted and self-actualization is forever, you know, the bumps come along in life, but pretty much when you get to the point where you've recognized what you need to give you the stalwarts of your foundation so that you can get through difficult times, it's a really nice viewpoint to stand from. It doesn't make you arrogant. You don't sit there and think, wow, this is all easy now. I've been through all of that and healed here and healed there. It's more, now I understand that when I break, that's okay, it's temporary and I'll figure something new and fundamentally interesting about who I am when I heal further with that scar tissue. That's the way I perceive who I am now compared to who I was then and why I take every experience as a wealth of opportunity and learning. When we watch soap operas, for example, and yeah. every character you think about, you know, the Ian Beals of the world, all go through all these traumatic events week in, week out, and there's always another event, and you start comparing yourself, you go, oh, I wish I didn't have his type of life. For most of the people listening, they might not necessarily have got to that level of needing psychological help ever. So they haven't gone through such bad things. So how do they get to learn about life experiences if they haven't gone through that bad? I don't think that you have to have levels of bad to some degree. I think your worst experience is always your worst experience. I used to train people years ago to do therapy and I would give the example of I've worked with young people with acne who are suicidal and I've worked with young people who've been sexually abused who are not. So you don't have a paradigm where this is a terrible experience, this is how you'll react. What you have is a base of your resilience level. So we know that some people are born genetically with a more resilient mindset and some people are born with a more sensitive temperament and some people and so on and so forth have different kind of temperaments and add to that you're then given a nurture experience so you might have great parents you might be born in a nice postcode you might have loads of opportunities educationally and that means that even if you've got the sensitive temperament you know those knocks aren't going to knock you quite as badly equally you might have a terrible life but that resilient gene is going to be there and help you to get along with those bumps and those issues so your worst experience is dependent on a myriad of issues and basic basic kind of genetics as well so I guess that when it comes down to comparing it's not about comparing it's about saying what is my pain and how do I manage it that's the bigger question you know when have I had pain and how has it made me feel so whenever you've had your worst experience what was it that you did to either remove yourself from it extricate yourself from it or indeed grow into it so you learned or be attacked by it to some degree where it made you feel helpless and if you've ever been in a situation where you've thought well actually that did make me feel helpless and I was in a terrible place then you really have got some insight into the building blocks that you need to create to grow in your resilience level because you can learn resilience whenever the idea that you're formed by a certain age in childhood is a myth and people change consistently your brain is conditioned and then you can recondition it that's a really interesting thing and picking up on that with the resilience that you're touching on is very much the physical aspect and 
long-term things such as an eating disorder, such as mental health. We've seen a massive change with the rise of social media and the way yeah. that we treat mental health and the way that we compare ourselves to others. You're yeah. uh, one of my favourite, if not the best, agony aunt on this Aww. morning. Um, so you're opened up to a lot of more mundane psychological problems, uh, you know, to you know make a segment on TV and uh, for your Instagram and Facebooks where the issues that people have aren't necessarily, not that we can compare it, but they're not life-changing it's in a moment. Have you noticed a change in the way that we treat our mental health uh, with the rise of social media? I think that social media is one of the best places and the worst places in the same breath. Because for me personally, I have cultivated a cyber family of love. I feel that we're very connected. I want to do lots to help them and they are always very supportive to me. But I also think about what that child I would have been if I'd had access to smart technology and I needed desperately for people to validate me and I wanted to be popular and I wanted to be long and I wanted to be attractive. There are all these things that a normal child developing wants and if I'd had access to things like social media, I kind of worry that I would have ended up in a pretty bad place doing things that were pretty silly. So I do think there's a massive pressure on children and young people and actually what's really interesting with the mental health side of it is the kickback is whilst we're seeing lots of provocation online, you know, over-sexualized pictures, for example, people telling stories about however they feel and exploring that. There's a kickbox of conservatism. So we're actually seeing kids growing up with a much more conservative mentality. So they're less likely to drink, they're less likely to be promiscuous, they're less likely to take drugs. So there's this like kickback to so this very big openness. There seems to be this pulling back regarding the way that people actually do manage their feelings independently, which I don't necessarily think is a great thing because I think childhood is really the place where you're going to make loads of mistakes and have lots of fun that maybe people wouldn't approve of, but that forms who we are. So it's interesting. I think it's an amazing place to start vocalizing mental health, but do I think it's changing mental health? I think it's definitely giving people permission to have conversations about it, but I don't think there's a lot of action beneath it because we don't have support structures around. And also when you have certain people who go on television who refer to younger adults in particular as snowflakes, you have a really problematic dialogue and narrative with youth and young people and young adults. And I'm talking about people up to like 35 because that's the generation that people are being referred to. And we have probably the most woken population under 35, people who actually are invested in their psychological well-being, but also have a real heaviness around and burden around what they feel their job is to do with the world and the wider world and making the environment better and so on and so forth but they get a lot of abuse and I think that social media has done a very big job of controlling people with independent thought creative desire and an opportunity to be unique in their viewpoints because what it will do is it will crush them very often because it doesn't go along with the general narrative and that is something that I think is affecting mental health and will continue to do so. And I think it's quite interesting that you talk about social media being as a communal aspect in the community side, but also it's very individualistic. And I think the individual mm -hmm. side of it has come out a lot, and especially during lockdown with TikTok, which 
yes. pre lockdown oh, TikTok was get nothing. Me on that one, that is like my biggest. I hate it. Sorry. I'm Have you really not done sorry. the weekend blinded by light? Have you not done the Mamma Mia Angel Eyes parody? I literally can't bear it. I can't listen, my. I'm sure there are brilliant things on TikTok. Um, my husband has an account because we have a rescue squirrel, so therefore he puts things on about the squirrel. I get that there's probably a, a force of great and good on there, but all I see as a woman who spent a lot of time working in sexual exploitation is young people being sexually exploited to some degree because they're not seeing the bigger narrative regarding the viewers who are looking at them and that really worries me and I'm sorry that it's probably a really unpopular thought process but there are just some key things I see and particularly when there are women who look like they can get away with looking super young doing very provocative things and it's not young men that are looking at them that's the issue. I know who are viewing those things and it concerns me because when you're in my work, you can never unsee what you've seen, if that makes sense. So it really worries me about the messages that certain people in the population take from those videos, even though for the people posting them a lot of the time, it's just completely innocent. What are those flags that you're looking for? What can you see that we on the untrained eye wouldn't be able to see on those videos? So predators are everywhere online. It takes about four seconds for particularly paedophiles to make contact with young people. And the thing about TikTok is I know it's got all the humor. I know it's got all the fun stuff. But what it really has quite powerfully is young girls who dance in certain ways for the camera. And actually, you've got middle-aged women doing it as well. You've got mums and daughters doing it all in the same context. But we can be very honest. It's highly sexualized and they wear very tight clothes and little tops and there's nothing wrong with those girls wanting to do that it's not their issue it's not them that's the problem they're just being young and provocative and beautiful I mean that's what makes the female form so gorgeous that isn't my issue it's not with the victims it's that they don't see the people who are actually looking at those images it's the fact that I know who's sat behind those computer screens I know who's contacting with them I know who's trying to get into their conversations I know what they want so I have that instant hackles going on the back where these you know 12 13 or however old they're meant to be but probably on online just enjoying themselves getting lots of affirmation and validation and I know what the people contacting them are going to be wanting to talk about so I have this horrible feeling because even though most of those young people will be fine because they have great support networks and their families are really good and you know they don't have that instinct um, level that would mean that they became vulnerable when they've got kids who are just desperate to be noticed desperate to be taken seriously because you know that they've got horrible lives and in the UK loads of kids have horrible lives you know really horrible lives that's the kid that goes on just trying to get the validation and ends up with some horrific predator just singling them out so whenever I see things like that where people become dancing pets that really concerns me being online is such a big thing though to form a sense of community and a sense of belonging mm. I remember back in the day 
when I was growing up, and I had a very good childhood. I was twelve years old, and I was obsessed with the digital spy forums. And I remember, yeah, um, you know, you've got a TV section and a soap section. And I was obsessed, and had to run home to get back on the message boards to talk about EastEnders. And you should I'm, so be a TV critic, Johnny. You oh, are I so, love it. Somebody who is listening to this should just absolutely give you a job on screen because you were just so invested in all of that. You know, it's unusual that somebody is that invested, but you just really are. Oh, thank you. I've been obsessed you since are. day one of TV. I mean, EastEnders since. I was about seven years old. But the problem with that actually is, if we're going down the psychology route of this, is that I got given a TV in my bedroom aged eight and it was probably one of the worst things that ever happened to me. I was on my own floor. So I had the uh, top floor to myself with my bathroom and I would come home with a McDonald's when I was, you know, 12 years old from school. Even though dinner was served three hours later, I'd have a McDonald's. I'd be in bed and then I got into cooking because my mum would always make dinner too late oh. so i'd stay in my bed all night i'd watch all the soaps all the tv eight hours of tv not see a single human being and then go to bed and my life was spent upstairs hidden away purely because i had that tv and i had free views so i had a lot of choice i mean 30 channels actually gave you quite a lot of choice and i'd step up and watch mm. those late night quiz shows like quiz call and the mint and it ruined my childhood i think tv and digital spy also ruined it and i remember going once uh doing a thread on it so making a new conversation going by everyone, I'm going on holiday for two weeks. Now, they don't care. They want to talk about EastEnders. Yeah, I still thought that they were my friends, that I was in this community, and yeah. that they were something that I wasn't. And that's the same with TikTok. And TikTok has got this problem, like you said about the sexual exploitation. Oh, yeah. But also, yeah. it's self-validation people are looking for, but in a weird way. So you've got a twofold here, where people literally put their cameras and they get someone to film them, looking the way, uh, looking at the camera, and they'll learn the dance, and they'll do the dance, and that's fine. Then you've got the people who've bought these ring lights, which suddenly make you look really good, and they've built a tripod, and they've taken yes. it a little bit to the next level. Then you've got those who actually are into digitalization and who are doing these incredible, incredible pranks and incredible videos, and they're putting it out on a platform where they can go, here's a 20-second clip of something amazing happening. And then you go, hold on a minute, you've used a green screen and hold on a minute you've spent hours and hours and hours editing it and making it look something yeah. completely different to what it was and that self-validation of i want to be part of that tiktok community but i can't get to that because i haven't got that skills that's also setting people back yeah i think when you think about what you said at the very beginning when you said that you had that great hit where people were all talking about you and everyone has been brought up in our western culture since the dawn of social media to want to be that person you know that person at the top of the game that person with loads of followers that person getting the brand deals you know that person that is why young people say now that when they look at the top 10 jobs most of them at at least at some point, say they want to be a YouTuber or an Instagram influencer. And they're not doing it because they're stupid. They're doing it because actually they know if you get to the top of your game, you know, you're going to be a multi-millionaire and you're going to be living the dream as far as it is concerned regarding materialism. But what people miss out on is what you're talking about, which is the actual human cost. And also, why do you feel the need to have that external validation? Because internal validation is where happiness and contentment lies i always talk about my rule of keeping my world small and that means that i 
don't think about having a really expensive car. I really don't need any more bedrooms than I have people in my home. I really don't need to buy designer clothes because they cover my body the same way as the ones that I can afford well. And everything that I can do with my money that can help elsewhere in the world, that makes me feel that I've made an impact that I validate myself for because they're difficult choices that make me feel that whilst it costs me, I benefit in a completely different way. And when I use those rules, it means that when I deal with massive crises, so my dad killed himself last year and he wasn't somebody who'd ever had mental health issues really. He got sepsis and it caused delirium which create toxins in his brain. And unfortunately, after a year of dealing with just this horrific, horrific experience, he hung himself. And that, if you imagine being somebody like myself, who my dad was my absolute hero, he was the guy I saw pretty much every day when I'd had a period of anxiety years and years ago when my husband and me split up, when I had very young kids, it was him who turned up every single night. It was him who told me it was going to be all right, even though he didn't have a plan. It didn't matter because it was my dad and my dad was solid. My dad was that guy. My dad was the man that everybody was friends with, that everybody thought was the nicest man in the world. Um, to suddenly have one day this person that you just thought was going to get well and it was all going to be fine and then to find them and have to go through that trauma of being the person who dealt with that then my world just completely shifted and that's what I'm talking about when you've got resilience that trauma is catastrophic for anybody but the resilience within me tells me every single day that the whole premise of life is loss that's it that's the key the key is fundamentally you will lose or you will be the person who is lost. And that is the one thing that is absolutely real. More and more, I think that we get lost thinking about what life is meant to be about. But actually, life is meant to be about coming to terms with who you are and what makes you content internally and who you love that sustains that and gives you that foundation and having gratitude for every second of it and not missing out and not failing to acknowledge what is there because one day it, it just isn't and I think that that resilience and why I'm so avid about talking about people needing to pull back from feeling the need for everybody else to congratulate you is your world can literally transform in a millisecond forever so as long as you've got that internal knowledge that it's you who creates your happiness it's you who creates your contentment it's you who says good job or I need to work harder and as long as you've got that foundation then no matter what you're doing whether you are posting a video or whether you are going out and speaking on stage or whether you are going and being an accountant it doesn't matter whatever you do because it comes from a place of deep internal strength connected with deep internal gratitude and that for me is the meaning of happiness and contentment in life and i wish during lockdown we actually turned off social media so rather than it being social media is the only way to empower mm. us so it's not being seen in a nightclub and it's not you know celebrities and us are all the same people we're all stuck in lockdown we're all doing the same thing of not much I wish we'd turn that validation off using social media. So not seeing people buy their swimming pools if they've got one. Not seeing oh, God, yeah. people having takeaways. Not seeing people trying to break social distance. Was not seeing even someone meeting up with one person for a walk at a two meter distance. And you're thinking, hold on, no one's asked to see me. No one's checked if I want yeah. to go for a walk. No one had plans. I wish we'd turned off social media and we went, okay, let's have a proper 
couple of weeks of no social media where we don't need that self-validation because if you are, as you said, going on stage, you want someone to take a picture of you to put that up. And I'm guilty as sin of it. I would always I do that. that's a brilliant idea, though. And I, I wish honestly, we'd got rid of that. I think that's the great... I think that should be like a national week a year, like digital detox week, where people just don't have access to that. Because you're right, one of the things that we don't see is all the minutes that just disappear. I mean, I'm like you. I work in the media. I love my social media family. They're amazing. But also, if you put something out, I think it's really rude not to respond to people. So I do try to always engage and chat. So that could be like three, four hours when you've responded to everybody. You don't want to make somebody feel left out. And I also think that you're right. You have that external gaze instead of internal gaze, which is you're concentrating so many of your efforts on thinking about what everybody else is doing and am I comparing and am I managing? And can I get the right hashtags succeeding? for you as well? Right. I mean, I can't, I've never even been able to work out hashtags, so don't even worry about that for me. And I do think young people now, one of the big missing links where mental and emotional health and wellness is, is boredom. Boredom is so powerful for creation. People like you, even though you said I went on Digital Spy and did A, B and C and I watched TV and that caused me not to have the peer experiences that I should have had or go on the wild clubbing exploits and all of those things. What you also were doing, you were very job orientated. You had a vocation and a passion and you've kind of used that's your invention and purpose now, which is great. So you didn't even to some degree need the boredom distraction. You were already engaged in where you were going. But for a lot of young people now, they're on headsets, they're on social media. Every time they come in from work, they're online. They don't have any time to stop and just be mindful and think to themselves, who am I? Am I happy? What do I need to change if I'm not? What do I need to think about to make my life thrive? What am I concerned about, about my emotions? What am I listening to regarding the way I feel physically? They're things that you need time to reset. And we don't get it because it's all very well people saying, well, just digitally detox for a few days. But it's hard because it's become a second nature habit and they're difficult to break. But every time I speak to somebody who has done away with it for a week, like if I go on holiday, you know, I have a week without it. You just feel like you've been given another 15 hours, you know, every single day because you are so unaware of how much your time is just transcended because of the fact that you're on social media constantly. I agree. But the problem with that is that we like to break rules. So we're always going to look for the other options. So if you went, okay, Twitter and Instagram, you're being shut down for the week, you'll find another outlet. Same as in yeah. lockdown, no one can see each other. No couples will see each other. Okay, couples will watch at a distance. Oh, right, but these couples are going to have sex. These couples are going to do whatever. Because, you know, it's, it's, it's for example, last week, and they said, for Monday, six people you can see. Well, what's yeah. between seeing them today or in two days' time? Oh, Absolutely I nothing. Know, so same as all those things, you're always going to find another way to break the rules. And if you say, okay, I'm going to take a week off social media, my sisters have always done this on holiday. So one sister will go, okay, I'm not answering any messages whilst I'm on holiday, but she'll still check her phone and see who's messaged her. And you'll go, <laughs> okay, well, if I'm going to take the whole day off, I may as well just look now because what what difference does it make? you know a couple more hours it's not going to make that much of a difference so i think we need to train our brains in a way of thinking that we're not breaking the rules but we're doing this for the greater good and i still don't think we're quite there yet yeah johnny this is where you and me go wait a minute 
let's just start our own retreats. We'll do digital detox oh, retreats. We could be the new Jason Vale. Let's do yeah, Jason Vale, but give without us the phones. Yeah. We're like, no, we're locking them up, and that's it. And then they're like given a green juice, the phones removed, the strip searched, and then they're sent off for a week. Only you would want to do a strip search. What are you trying to do? Hey, Find listen, the next guy. You need to be thorough. You need <laughs> to that's be thorough. True. That's all I'm saying. People are very. I know what happens in prisons. They get very small phones in there. Believe me. I so did. we're gonna be. <laughs> <laughs> the images, the images. Um, that, that, do you know what? That is new because Jason Vell, I love Jason Vell and I'm a yeah. massive fan of his and he's a good friend. Um, but I can't stand his juices because he puts avocado and everything. Imagine we set up a retreat in a hot country, no phone. And it's just a chill. Yeah, and it's just it's a chill. chill. Have a gin and hot tonic. Chocolate. Oh, okay. I was going to go for hot chocolate, but fine. Gin we'll and tonic. Have that as well. own. Um, but then want. you would want to make it program. picturesque. So would you give everyone an hour? to do whatever they want on their phone for that. Because actually, no, no, we're taking it off them. It's digital detox, hardcore. That's the hardest bit. Come on, boot camp. That's the easiest boot camp in the world. The only thing you have to do is relinquish your phone. People will be like, this sounds amazing. It's two and a half thousand pounds, all inclusive for a week. And I just have to give my phone over and I can sleep and I can eat and I can just relax. That's an amazing. What's the bigger we'll cost, be taking buckets. We'll be taking bookings. <laughs> yeah, what's the bigger cost, me. though? The money or the phone? Two and a half grand or the phone, what costs more? Well, it doesn't matter because we're not interested in what they're going to feel about that initially because at the end of it, they'll be like, that was well spent. I am booking (laughs) two weeks next year. It's going to be amazing. Well, it's interesting you say that. So I remember back in the day when I was young, so this is only uh, about, oh, about 10, about, hold on, I've got to work this out now. Uh, You're still young. 14, so uh, 13 I remember 13 years ago where Wi-Fi wasn't a thing yet, but T-Mobile, would, uh, the old EE, would give out a free internet week. So it would be like £7 you pay, you get unlimited internet. Yeah. And I remember being that one person on camp who would have the unlimited internet. And it's always interesting because people would suddenly run into Wi-Fi zones and there's only limited places that had Wi-Fi then. So you'd have an hour in Wi-Fi, half an hour to check your messages, and then you'd have the rest of the day with nothing. And you didn't think anything of it, but we're so no. obsessed now with it that... It yeah. is interesting to think what happens if it is taken away from you. Yeah, well, people would just relax and be more mindful. That's the thing. The thing about the Western civilization is we teach a really poor message. And the message goes like this. You're born, you go to school, you go to college, you might go to university or you'll get a job. You'll buy a house or you'll rent a house. You'll get married. You might have kids. You'll save for a pension. You'll die. And the whole thing is plan for your future. And it's ridiculous. The future is non-existent. It doesn't actually happen for all of us. And if you spend all your time planning ahead without actually being in the present moment, then you've never really had an existence. Otherwise, you've just kind of been planning something that didn't occur. The, The reality of life is it's now. It's in this moment right here. And if it's okay and if it's good enough, then it's a great thing to experience. And the other thing is that to to kind of bring in that mindfulness is as soon as you start that, the anxiety and the stress becomes so much more minimal because you realize that you accept what is now and you have power over what is now. And indeed, you can change what is now. And I think that more and more people are going to have to recognize that spending time on your phone where you're future focusing or you're dreaming of or you're comparing to they're not good for us. So if you can introduce a couple of days a week where you just say, I'm just going to chill and be present with myself, I promise you, your mental health will just be in such a better space. And 
one other that. thing people should do is actually using social media annoyingly. But you do an incredible thing that's all about meditation. Apart from the times mm. that you go, imagine you are this, and then I'll text you and go, you're I'm hilarious, and I can't do it. <laughs> imagine you're, you're like, on I'm on a train. <laughs> <laughs> no, my favorite one was imagine you're on a busy high street. I went, what the hell does a busy high street look like? I've completely forgotten that. <laughs> that's right. That's what we go to the special. Let's room. go for your meditation. It's, it's the best thing. It's, it's the most amazing half an hour uh, until you fall asleep. And then I go, hold on a minute, where have you gone? How are you texting again when you're supposed to be meditating? And then I've realised uh, you've completely given up. Um, tell everyone what you do if they don't know already. So I did do it every single night, but I do now Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays. I do a mental health clinic between 8.30 and 9.30. And then after that, there's about 30 minutes of meditation, which is all live and the whole group get together. And then there's a reach support group as well. And that's Emma Kenny TV on all platforms. But Facebook's the one that's easiest if you've got questions you want to send in to kind of get answered and advice that you need to garner. So join us. It's a, it's a lovely little place to come and join. It's absolutely amazing. Emma Kenny, I can't thank you enough. I wish we could talk for another hour. Um, easily do it. And obviously, as you know, we're supposed to be getting drinks in. We were supposed to go for a drink, literally, and then lockdown started. So. And then who knew a pandemic would ruin that? Thank you very much, pandemic. <laughs> an amazing woman Emma Kenny is honestly she has really saved my life she's shaped my life and she's just been incredible I love seeing her on this morning I love listening to her on her Scala weekend breakfast show I love watching her social media videos I just love her absolutely love her um until next time I've been Johnny Seifert thank you so much for listening to Secure the Insecure we need some help we need to keep this momentum going on the podcast and of mental health conversations please do like the podcast and give it a rating and a little comment. It is so important that you comment on the podcast and just say you've enjoyed the episode. Because also, the first comment that comes up says, I spoke too fast. And I think the person who had that had pressed the speed button. And therefore, that is the thing that people say. So please, let's get rid of that. Please, this week, help me out. Help me get up that podcast listings. Please do leave a comment and leave a five-star rating. I've been Johnny Seifer. Until next week, thank you and goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.